So for a title tonight, I just want to call it, We Can Make It. Because we can. My first thought when I was preparing this message was encourage. You know, encourage, I want to encourage. I believe that's what God wants me to do. Um, So that's what my, my primary goal is tonight. You know, a lot of us have been through a lot of things in the last year, year and a half, two years, a couple of weeks, whatever. You know, I mean, a lot of hard trials, you know, more than, you know, what we thought was normal or whatever. And, uh, you know, I just want to encourage you, this is not the time to give up. We can do this through God who can strengthen us. Um, you know, this is the time to give it all we've got. To be discouraged is exactly what the devil would want us to be. You know, he, he tries to make you think that God doesn't love you, he doesn't care for you, he can't care for you. You know, I mean, he just puts all these things in your mind, especially when you're in, you know, in trials like that. But um, in 1 Peter 4.12, Peter reminded us, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. And fiery means like hot, like hot, a hot fire that would melt metal. I mean, like a fine refiner's fire. You know, so a, a heavy trial. So don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So these things are going to come. You know, we hate them, but they come. You know, God has God has ordained it like that. Um, you know, trials are not only um, to try us, but also to guide us back on the path, you know, when we've strayed from it. Uh, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, you know, we all know this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. So, whether it's trial or chastening, you know, we can still be encouraged because if that is happening in our lives, that means we're his. That means he's working on us. Um, the Israelites, you know, they were in the same predicament. You know, they were, they were always being tried and tested. And I'd like to turn to uh, Exodus 17, just one of the many trials that they were subjected to and brought through. And as we're reading these first, uh, I guess we'll do the first seven verses of chapter 17. Kind of think about yourself and kind of see how you were in a situation, you know, maybe that you were thinking kind of these same things. So, and all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children and our cattle with thirst? How many times do we think that when we're in a trial? You know, why did you bring me to this place? Why did you bring me to this situation? You think, I mean, you think it's going to kill you. I mean, how many times have we thought that? 
And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and your rod wherewith you smote the river, take in your hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb, and you shall smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? How many times did we say that? You know, is God really here? Is he with me? Is this really where he wants me to be? You know, a lot, I mean, we might not say that aloud to somebody, but in our hearts we really, you might, we might be thinking that. And a lot of it, why we have those questions is because we can't see where the Lord's taken us. Um, you know, they couldn't see where God was leading them in the wilderness. All they had was, you know, the pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud, and they knew where they were taking the next step. They didn't know where they were going a week out. You know, they couldn't say, well, we're going to be over here this week. We're going to be over here the next day or whatever. And a lot of times that's the same thing for us. You know, we just have one day at a time, one week at a time that God's shown us. He doesn't tell us the whole plan. You know, we try to plan our next step, but we're so limited in our view, you know, that we can't, we can't see that. We've got to follow him instead of trying to lead ourselves. Um, and there's so many scriptures where God talks about instructing us and teaching us. You know, Psalm 32, 8, Mr. Hamilton always used to, Say that one. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. But how do you, I mean, you have to actually trust that. I mean, you can, yeah, you can say that, but you can't, it doesn't affect you unless you actually trust in that, that he will guide you and with his eye upon you. Um, turn back a few pages to Exodus 13. This is basically where God was talking about the, or Moses was talking about the pillar of cloud and fire. Um, Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor, for the, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So his guidance was always there. It was never taken away. It was just, it was right there. But it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't the week next. It wasn't the day next. It was right there. Um, But they had to keep their eyes on the pillar of fire and the cloud to know what their next step was going to be. And just like they made it to the promised land, you know, we will. God promised Abraham uh, before this about the promised land. Uh, he said in Genesis 28, he said, And behold, I am with you and will keep you in all places whither you go and will bring you again into this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. So he says that the same for us. Um, 
you know, that promise was made to Abraham and his seed. And we know, you know, from Galatians 3, where it talks about us being uh, Christ's and Abraham's seed, so we can benefit from this promise. You know, he will bring us into this land. He will not leave us until he has done that which he has spoken to us of. I don't know, that, that just is always encouraging to me that he's not going to leave us where we are. I know I'm not finished, and he, he will finish me somehow. I don't know how, but he will. So what enabled the Israelites to make it the promised land? It was our God. I mean, the same one we worship tonight is our God. I mean, is their God our It's the same exact God, the same power, the same everything that was there is right here with us. So, uh, for the next little bit tonight, I want to just talk about some of the names of God that he revealed to the children of Israel. Um, the, the first one, uh, let's go to Exodus 3. Turn back a few more pages here. The children of Israel didn't really know who God was when they came out of Egypt. They saw the, you know, the plagues and stuff that he put on all the people of Egypt, but he did not, they didn't really know who he was, um, what he was like. So God used these names and, um, just to show them you know, what his character was like. So Exodus 3, verses 13 to 14. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. I am was the self-existent or eternal one. He, he exists of himself. He's dependent on no one. I mean, he, he is. So they, I mean, they had to know that he was first. You know, he is God. He is the God. <clears throat> and these next three are more like warrior names. You know, how God fights for us. Uh, the first one is Almighty, the Lord Almighty. And Exodus 6, verse 3, we might as well turn over there since we're close by. Uh, six and verse three, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. I guess this was actually to Abraham, but it applies, you know, to us too. And in Strong's Concordance, I looked that up, and the Lord Almighty, or the word Almighty, gives the impression of to be burly. Or powerful, so you get a picture of a, a strong man, you know, the Almighty. And then another one was the Lord most vehement, which is, you know, vehement is marked by forceful energy. So vehement, vehement. Um, Exodus fifteen one to three. While we're in Exodus here, we'll just keep turning to these. 
So Exodus chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 3. And this is right after Israel had been saved by the Egyptians uh, when God let the Red Sea go back over them and drowned them all. This is the song that the Israelites were singing. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. The Lord, and that's the word, the Lord most vehement. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So we know he's strong, and he is forceful. And this next one is um, the Lord, my banner. Um, Exodus 17, two more chapters to the right. And this is when Israel came to the Amalekites. It was their first fight, you know, coming out of Egypt. And um, let's just go ahead and read verses 13 to 15. And this is, you know, after the fight. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. And that Jehovah Nisi is the Lord our banner. And so when you get a picture of a banner in a war or a battle, you know, that's like the, you know, the guy raising the banner to either to tell you something, to gather everybody around, to rally the troops or whatever. So that, that's what the Lord is to us. He rallies us around us. Um, you know, which was kind of how you know, Moses was on the hill, standing with his arms outstretched. And uh, when the Israelites saw that, they were strengthened, and they would fight, and they were winning the battle. But when he put his arms down, you know, they started losing. So our Lord is standing there, you know, arms raised. You can do it. Um, the next one is um, the Lord, our healer, Exodus 15. <clears throat> Exodus 15:26, And said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. And also Psalm 107, 19 and 20. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I mean, how clear is that, you know, that God is our healer. So he'll fight anywhere we need to win. And he's our healer. And I know there's a ton of scriptures, but you know that's that's our truth. That's what we have. That's what we know is true. So there's some other names that we know him by. Also, how about counselor? Isaiah nine six talks about his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
so he's a counselor to us. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. But um, let's turn to Psalm 25. I'd like to read verses 9 and 12. You know, all these, I don't know, I, I just feel like they're so plain. He t- I mean, he just tells us, you know, what he'll do for us. In verse 9, he says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. And then verse 12, What man is he that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. I mean, there is... No reason, you know, why we need to be out without direction. And, of course, James 1, verse 5, you know, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Um, back in Isaiah 9, 6, what I quoted before, uh, he's also our prince of peace. You know, we can have peace. The world is totally without peace, but we have peace, or we can have peace if we know the Lord. And it's not just peace, peace in our minds. Um, Isaiah talks about, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then we know Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's peace in our minds, but there's also peace between us and God. Um, Ephesians 2.14. That's talking about how Jesus broke the barrier between us and God, and now there's peace between us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. I'm sure each one of these could have a message in itself, but this is kind of an overview of what our God is to us. So Ephesians 2:14, For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two, one, new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. So we have peace with God now, and all this is possible. <clears throat> Another name we know God by is the Son of God. So... Since he is the son of God, and Jake, I'm kind of stealing from Jake a little bit, last week at Fusion, um, we talked about, or he was talking about how because he is the son of God, he didn't inherit man's fallen nature. You know, we're all from Adam, but he was from God himself. You know, Jesus was sinless, perfect, so we can depend on him. He's not going to have the shortcomings and the failures and the Things that, you know, that we always um, have as a human body and a human mind and human. um. The next one 
He's actually Jesus. He's our brother, you know, in Christ. Uh, John one twelve says, "But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name." So you know, we're also called sons of God if we believe on his name. And then also First John three one says. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew not him. You know, so we're both called sons of God. And so that makes us, you know, our, he make, that makes him our brother. He identifies with us and knows what it's like to be tempted and can help us, you know, like a big brother that's already been there. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. I'd like to read that, uh, verses 17 and 18. Uh, starting in 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them or aid them that are tempted. So we can look to him, you know, when we're, we're tempted. He's been tempted before in all points, and he can follow us. I mean, he can, he can help us in all the temptations that we have. He's also the king of kings and lord of lords, um, which in his times, oh, this is First Timothy 6.15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So what is a king? I mean, there's nobody above him. He's the top. He's, he, what he says goes. You know, what he wants, he gets. Um, but this is the king of kings. I mean, he's the top over all of those. So we can trust him for anything. He can get us anything we need. He has authority over the devil and demons. I mean, we don't need to worry about, you know, our our lowliness. We have a king that it cares for us, and he will take care of us. He's our savior. First uh, Timothy four ten. If we could just remember all these things when we're in trials. And have them, you know, in our hearts, and really, you know, get that down in our hearts. I feel like it would be a little bit easier. Uh, okay, so First Timothy four, verse ten. Therefore, therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men especially of those that believe. So he is our savior, our deliverer. He will save us from destruction, you know, now and in eternity. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. You know, in Revelations it says, you know, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. You know, since he's always he always been, he's always been and always will be, we can trust him. 
I mean, we've all heard the advertising companies. You know, we've been around for 50 years. We've been installing air conditioners for 60 years or whatever, you know. I mean, he's been around since the beginning of time and before that. You know, he knows everything that has been. He knows everything that will be. You know, he's got it all. We can trust him. And then lastly, he's alive. I mean, he's here. He's, he was back in, you know, back in the Israelites' time, and he's here now, just like he was there. He's not an abstract, make-believe thing like you know, a lot of religions are. He is real, and he's alive. I mean, he lives in our hearts. He's as real as us standing and sitting in this room. And, you know, he's a father that can be approached with our needs even more than our earthly fathers. He's a very present help in time of need. And the one thing about all these names, though, if you don't know him, they don't mean anything to you. So you've got to have communication between him and you. There must be... Um, two-way communication, you, know, you seeking for him and him revealing to your heart what, he, what you need to know. Um, it can't just be a knowing in your head. I feel like I, you know, when I was younger, I was, you know, I asked God to come and live in my heart when I was young, but I think up until, you know, I was a teen, um, it was mostly just knowing in my head there wasn't a real relationship you know, between me and God, and when I was, I think it was 14, um, you know, that's when I started realizing that I need to, you know, pray and read my Bible regularly, and that's when I feel like God started, you know, showing me things and, you know, actually having a relationship with him. So, along with this, do you know Jesus as just an acquaintance or a true friend? You know, a true friend is someone that you know how they act in certain situations, you know what they believe, they know that they care for you, you know that they'll sacrifice their personal interest for you. I mean, you know them. And you know how they'll respond to a certain situation. You know, if you don't know God, how are you going to know how he's going to respond to your situation? How do you know if he will respond, you know, if you don't know him? So do you really know him, or do you just know of him? If we know him and believe him, we will make it. <clears throat> you know, so many times we put doing things for God above knowing God. Um, this is also something we heard at Fugion, that good works overflow from a daily relationship with God. You can try to do all the works that you want and, you know, earn what you want. Earn your healing, earn your, you know, whatever. Earn your financial needs. But that's not how it works. It's the relationship with God. And, um, you know, the other things will come out of that. <clears throat> You know, in all this, we have to learn patience. 
Um, I know I've had to learn that. It seems like, I don't know, all the time, and I keep having to learn it. I just, I don't know if I just forget that God, sometimes he takes a long time. A lot of times he does. <laughs> and it, it's not, I mean, it, you know, time with him is nothing. And with time, we're so time-oriented. But, um, yeah, I feel like I'm just learning this all the time. I mean, for one, one example in my own life was um, financially. Um, well, to start out, two weeks after we got married, Teresa and I, I lost my job, like, two weeks later. And I thought, I mean, I had a good job. It was an office job. I thought, man, I am set. You know, nobody has an office job. You know, I was, <laughs> I'm set. You know, I, I, I talked to the, the owner, and I was like, man, so you think how, you know, I could make enough to, um, you know, support a family? It's like, yeah, yeah, we, I mean, we've got guys that do what you do, and they, you know, they do fine. And so, I mean, I, I had it all planned out. But, um, like I said, two weeks later, they said, oh, we're closing the office, you know. You need to look for something else. So, you know, I did that, and uh, I, you know, I found a job eventually doing landscaping. You know, a, a low-paying job, but it was something. And um, <clears throat> I did that for three months, and then finally, one of the interviews that I had done earlier in the year finally called me back and said, "Yeah, we'd like you to come." work. So even there, I, w I, I think I started at the same, well, I don't know, it was, it was low. <laughs> and it, it just seemed, I mean, maybe for the first 10 years of our marriage, you know, within the last three years probably, that it was just, we had just enough. You know, God always met our needs, but we had just enough. Not anymore, just right there. <laughs> And we had to believe, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it's like, it wasn't like it just came. It was just enough. We were like, you know, when is it going to come? I mean, how is this going to work? I tried to do a budget one time. <laughs> what I made didn't add up the budget, so I just scrapped that. <laughs> I decided to try, or trusting God was going to have to work because nothing else was working. But through that, I learned to trust him, and I learned Sometimes it does take patience, but he has a goal, and he, you know, all that waiting and trusting produced patience in me. And now, I mean, anything else, I can look at that and see that he will come through. So now, you know, I would hear Mr. Hamilton talking about the windows of heaven being opened and just overflowing, and I was like, yeah, I, I know that's true, but sure don't see it yet <laughs> but like I said now I mean I know what that's like and I it's you know it's you can totally see that God did it because it happens you know I mean I still probably could make a budget and not know how it would or I could I could pick a number and say you know I want to make this but I don't know how God would do it and it's just totally what I wouldn't be thinking you know, that God comes through and supplies our needs over and abundantly. Um, you know, so 
this goes back to what I mentioned about testing in the first part, 1 Peter 4. We were at verse 12, but reading on to verse 13, it says, But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed in you, you, know, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So we've got to remember, it's not all about us. You know, it is, it's about God being glorified in us. Uh, the testing of our faith is not fun, but it's producing something in us that causes the world to ask us, you know, what is this that you have? Because, I mean, when God saves a person, they get changed. And if you can see this, um, if you know him, you know, people will ask you, you know, why, how can I have some of that, you know? Um, as we get to the end here, I want to read uh, Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 to 9. I feel like this will be our story when we come to the end here. Uh, Deuteronomy All right, Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 2. And like we did the first time, let's put you and your situation that you might be in or that God has brought you through, put yourself into this and you know, just think of how God has taken care of us. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew not. Neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Your raiment waxed not old upon you, neither did your foot swell these forty years. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you may dig brass. Brass. So I don't know if God has brought you to that place yet. We all we won't all fully realize that you know until we get to heaven. But <clears throat> that's where God is going to bring us. And I know there's you know there's situations that we have gone through that we come out on the other side and we see this. We think, man, you know, God brought us out of there. Whether it was chastening or just testing to see, you know, what was in our heart. God brings us out of it, and it's totally better on the other side. So let's do like Hebrews 12, where it talks about, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. <clears throat> we've got to run the race, but we also, if we want to get through it, we've got to look to Jesus, who started that, and he will finish it. Yeah, we are close to the end. Um, let's let's finish it together. So
Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for all the, the things that you put in your word to encourage us and to keep us going, to uh, change our hearts, to develop trust in you. Uh, Lord, just thank you that you're not going to let us go, that you are our God. I pray that you would continue to um, develop the relationship with us that we need. We just thank you that you'll finish the work that you started in us, in us individually and in our church. We thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen.